like to welcome you to the Transportation Committee's panel on transportation options. We have somebody here to talk to us today about three different things. Um, we're going to have first, John Wielick is going to talk a little bit about taxis. After that, um, I will do Uber and Lyft. And, or do you want to do, go, go, grandparent. And then, um, and then after that, Mitch Pomerantz, and I'm Robin Wallen. And after that, Mitch Pomerantz is going to speak on GoGo -Go Grandparent. So welcome, everybody. And what I'm going to do is I am going to turn the microphone over to John. Okay. Oh, where is it? Okay. Hmm? Yeah, introduce yourself. I'm sorry. I am Robin Wallen, and I am on the Transportation Committee with Alice from here in St. Louis. Okay. Can you hear me? I'm, I'm on it. Okay. I'll have to use my radio voice there. <laughs> okay, I'm John Wheelick. I'm from St. Louis. And I'm going to make this quick because I have a cab waiting for me out front. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to try to do this just a lot of you asking you questions because, you know, what do you say about cabs? You call them and they come, except when they don't. But cabs are what we used. You know, I've been using cabs, you know, back in the 60s and 70s before there were, before there was Uber or even much mass transit or anything. So cabs was sort of the main thing to use. And I don't know if that's as true anymore. I'm going to ask you guys. How many of you, and I, you know, you can just mutter or speak up or whatever. How many of you still use cabs as your primary means of getting somewhere? No? A few. Is that mostly because you want to or because you really don't have any other options? The only option for you. Okay, that's still the case. The rest of you, what are you using? Uber? Lyft? Paratransit? Okay, okay. So there may not be a whole lot that I can tell you about cabs, but those of you who don't use cabs anymore, did you use them a lot before? Okay. What were the problems? Too expensive? Okay, okay. Unreliable. Sometimes a long wait time. Sometimes not. You know, it just looks like anything else. Peak time, long wait. Well, yeah, you can have that at Lyft, too. Or um, uh, maybe sometimes um, little communication difficulties, at least around here. There's a lot of drivers that, you know, English is not their native, and I don't mean to make fun of anybody, but that can be a problem. Um, what's, what is good, though, about cabs? Why would you maybe take a cab over something else? I, I would say you don't have to set it up three days in advance. You need a cab, you can just get on the phone, get it. Of course, you can do that with Uber, too, but maybe you don't have that. Um, another thing, you don't have to ride around and pick up 17 other people on the way. Uh, so that, that can work. Um, what has been the experience, and apparently not many of you are, are cab users anymore, but 
Uh, some cities have cab subsidy programs. We have never had that in St. Louis. Never. I don't even know how they work. But those of you who use cab subsidies, how do they? How does it work for you? And you know, how does it work? And how well does it work? I guess that's what I would ask. I can talk about okay. it. Nobody else can. Okay. You want to do that sure. now? Go ahead. Sure. Have a mic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Mitch Pomerantz, and the reason I know how the cab subsidy program works is um, when I worked for the city of Los Angeles, we had a program, and it was basically where you purchased, and you did so every quarter, you purchased scrip, and you could buy $60 at that time. I think ultimately, or subsequent to my leaving, they moved it up to 72 But you purchased at the time $60 in script for $12. So it allowed you to use um, as much of that as you needed to for a ride. But once you were done, you were done for that quarter. At least that's how LA's uh, program worked, John. Okay, and I think... Uh We have a hand mic? We, we don't have a hand we don't have a, up here. You're going to have to use your outside voice. Say it and we'll repeat it. Yes, we, we are being recorded. That's why. There's a wireless mic. I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, do you oh have there is a wireless there? mic. I thought there was supposed to be. Okay. okay. Maybe you have it. <laughs> hold on a second. Hold on. We'll get hold a mic. Hold on a second. Because we are being recorded. Test one. Okay, here's a wireless mic. Thank you. Larry to the rescue. Yes, thank you. Okay, I'm coming over to you. <laughs> okay, I hear you. Keep talking so I know where you're at. <laughs> I, I'm almost there. <laughs> okay. Robin is approaching. Hello, I'm Mike Moran, and... Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to try to talk about it anyway. Uh, so in Baltimore, I understand my friends have to pay $3 a ride. And that $3 goes toward the, the tip. But they can get so many rides. Um, and I think you have to stay within a $25 range. Anything above that, you have to pay. So, I mean, like, I, I don't have the full details, but if somebody has a variation of that, uh, maybe you can chime in and, and help. But that's roughly the idea. I'm sure there's many different versions of it. And um, I know they're experimenting with, uh, I think, I know this is a little off, with Uber in, what, Richmond, Virginia, and Boston to do that. But that's later on. Anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, next time I don't know what I'm talking about, I'll raise my hand. Okay. <laughs> okay. In front of a bunch of blind people. Right, okay. Uh, anybody here from Kansas City? Anybody from Kansas City? Because I think Kansas City has a program, but I think there's been some problems with it that I read, and I don't know exactly what they were with the subsidy, subsidy program. Hold on a second. Okay. This gentleman over here. Hi, this, 
Hi, this is Pat Chain from Maryland. We do use a cab company uh, to subsidize same-day service for paratransit. Not sure we want to get into that right now, but but it does cover nine miles for five dollars. I think we stole the model actually from uh, from uh, Massachusetts and maybe Seattle. I think, but it, it's uh, something that's worked out well. About fifty-six hundred rides a month, and they're expanding it to cover now Maryland and Washington D.C. Hoping to do this that same day service where you can expand and have coverage uh, over a larger period, a larger area for a very small amount. Same day cab touch service. Okay. I think, and I think last thing I'll say about it, I think it's an attempt of, for the um, cab service to stay alive, really, because we've got a lot of Uber and Lyft in Washington, D.C., and they were suffering, so they jumped at the chance. Right, right. Yeah, even with Uber, I, 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 we still use cabs occasionally. We've sort of gotten now, we were a little resistant to try Uber for whatever reason, and now we're using it, but we're still using cabs occasionally for short trips, or uh, and it works out pretty well. Anybody else have any other comments on cabs? Okay, all right. Say something again. I see somebody in the very back. Okay, hold on a second. Okay, all right. And I will be right back. Okay, hold on. Hi, this is Andy. One, one advantage to taxis could be that taxi cabs are regulated by local taxi cab commissions which means, for one thing, that the fare structure is regulated. And if you know what the fare structure is, you can actually almost determine what your, what your fare might be on a given trip. Also, if you have problems with your cab driver or, or anything like that, you can report it to the taxi commission. At least there is a, an avenue that you can report it to. And if there's systemic problems, uh, they can be resolved where with the... Uh, the other rideshare services, they're pretty much unregulated. I'm going to, um, I got one person over here and then you, I'm going to comment on that a little bit. Here's the thing that happened in St. Louis. The taxi commission is run by taxi company. And everybody on the commission is either a taxi driver, taxi cab company owner, or they are the spouse of such. So it makes it harder to get complaints. Okay, I had somebody over here. Okay, I'm going to come back there. Okay. John, let me... Hi, this is Andrea from Orange County, California. And we have, um, as part of our paratransit, we have same-day taxi service. Um, I know some other counties around us have tried it, and they no longer have it. It's a five-mile limit, and it's the same fare as the... Our, our fare for paratransit is 360 but the same day taxi is the same fare, um, but it's a, it is a five mile limit. And after five miles, it goes to the regular taxi meter. Um, I have used Lyft and Uber both. Um, not, ex- I mean, I use them probably half a dozen times a month because I, I would use them all the time if I could afford it, but I've had very positive experience. I do not have a dog. Um, I know some people with dogs have had issues, but I've had very, very positive experiences with uh, with Uber and Lyft, but I do hope that our uh, paratransit service will keep their same-day service because it, it is it is seven days a week, um, so that it, it is very helpful. 
Okay. Mitch wanted to say something, and then I'll kind of wrap it up. You had a question real quick. I'll tell you when you need a cab. Um, Donna, I booked Super Shuttle uh, to the airport Thursday morning. Or I booked them Wednesday afternoon for Thursday morning. They didn't show up. Now, I use Super Shuttle a lot. And when we called to find out, because we were out front, they said, uh, we, we, they told us, well, here's the cell number. They, had, they wrote my cell number down incorrectly. So it's 7 in the morning. LAX is an hour plus away. And we have a 949 flight. That's when we called a cab. And I called a cab rather than Lyft through Grogo Grandparent because once in a while you'll get a Lyft driver who doesn't know how to get to the airport. I've never had a cab driver not know how to get to the airport. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, it also, including tip, was $105 um, as opposed to the... 40 that uh, Super Shuttle charged, and we're trying to get that off our credit card. But that's when you use a cab for that kind of emergency. I have, I have a quick question. Uh, Rob, okay. Robin, just hand me the mic. My name is Barbara. I'm from Indiana. Um, I, I'm very interested in this idea of the collaborating between um, the taxi cab services and Uber services with... Um, with, with your transit systems, like your paratransit. And I'm wondering if, and what I've heard so far, it seems to be all larger urban areas. Has anybody heard of or have any experience with this kinds of collaborative kind of services with smaller areas, like a small urban city that has surrounded by a lot of rural area? I know all the ones I've heard of have been larger cities. Okay, somebody over here was calling for the microphone. Okay. That's quite all right. A few points. Um, where I live in Worcester, Massachusetts, one of, our, one of our cab companies is a contractor for paratransit. Mm-hmm. And as Andy was saying, I do use the cab because I feel that there is more safety sometimes. But I use Uber for a longer trip that I know is going to be less expensive. One of the questions that I'm having is, why is GoGo Grandparent, which I recommend to some people, getting so expensive? We'll talk about it. Yeah, um, Mitch is going to talk on GoGo Grandparent in just a little bit, and we'll get into a lot more of that. Okay. Okay, go ahead, John. Okay, uh, our MCB affiliate, we use cabs to get people to and from meetings, and there, there are some problems. You know, sometimes they don't go the way you tell them to go. But it has worked out pretty well because we can call and say we need four cabs and they have it all lined up who's going to go in what cab. And that would certainly be a better option than using call ride and having cabs being shown up at all times during the meeting. So cabs, I think, are kind of useful for that. I could, and I'm not going to do this because we'd be here all night. I could ask people to tell funny cab driver stories. But I'll leave you with a quick one. Back in the 70s, I had a job over in Illinois, you know, right across the river. And I didn't get off work until 11 o'clock at night. And there were just no other options for a while for me to get home except by cab. And cab fares were a lot less then, although it was still pretty much of a, still a pretty, you know, big fare. But I I did it for a while. And the cab drivers knew that 11 o'clock at night, my 
long cab ride was coming out, and sometimes they'd come over and wait for me. Uh, one driver w- waited for me and fell asleep and missed it. But I had a guy that I rode with who we struck up a friendship. He, he was a baseball nut just like me, and he played in the minor league. We just had a good time. He would pick me up when he could and knock a couple dollars off the fare, and we, I really liked riding with him. Well, I didn't need cabs anymore to do that. Oh, I think my mic went out. Oh, And uh, later, I was in a cab, and the driver said, you know that guy that used to pick you up at night over in Belleville? I said, yeah. He said, he committed suicide, killed himself. I said, that's terrible. He said, yeah, he was lonely and his mother died and so forth. A couple of years later, I'm at a meeting where we got cabs. And cabs pull up and I hear this voice say, hey, John, it's Bob. How you doing, guy? <laughs> and, and what do you say at that time? Do you say, I thought you were dead? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was, driving, he was driving instead of Laclede. He had switched over to drive for county cab. I so, could have told you he so was So I alive. guess the equivalent of committing suicide is to change uh-huh. from one cab company to another one. But that really scared me when he called me because, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's, uh, that's really all I have to say. I wish I could tell you more about cabs, but I, I think that covers it. Well, John, just for the record, I could have told you Bob is very much alive. (laughs) I think that's one other thing before we get into Uber and Lyft, I will say that is getting to be more of a problem here is that a lot of cab drivers have left to drive Uber and Lyft. And so the fleet is smaller. And unfortunately here, one of the things that has happened is the taxi company has actually lowered the regulations on the taxis. So they no longer do their own inspections. They do not have the same insurance coverage that they once did, and something very few people know. Unless you happen to get in an accident, passengers are not covered in a taxi. So those are things that have changed because of Uber and Lyft. Because St. Louis was the second to the last larger city to get Uber and Lyft. Because the taxi commission here did not want them. And so if any of you this week take Uber and Lyft, one of the things you're going to find is they're more expensive than a lot of other cities. So be prepared for that. But um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Uber and Lyft and ask, can I have everybody clap who are Uber and Lyft users? And I have to ask, has it changed your life? (laughs) Because you... (laughs) Okay, well, we're going to get into all of that. I will tell you that... One of the things that, for me, has been wonderful is the ability to come and go at a moment's notice. Because we, um, Mark and I, we had to put his mother into memory care facility, and we literally had to move her, and we had to literally do eight Uber trips in one day. There is no way we could have done that on, on, in a taxi because you could wait an hour, you could make 20 minutes, you could wait an hour and a half. It just wouldn't work. 
And paratransit, obviously, that wasn't going to work because I don't know how we'd have planned those trips three days in advance. I may be good at planning, but I'm not that good. <laughs> but I noticed several years ago, something that I did was I started a, I guess it was two years ago, I started a web page called Blind Users of Uber and Lyft because... What I found was happening, I first used Lyft here when it was here four years ago for a whole eight days before the taxi commission kicked it out. And then when we went to the Dallas convention, Mark and I used it. And for the first time, we weren't stuck at the hotel. We went all over Dallas. We went anywhere we wanted to go. And I knew what a freedom it could give to people. And I knew that there were a lot of service dog issues. But I also knew that Service dog issues have been going on with taxis since taxis ever came to be. And people were kind of forgetting that, and everybody heard the bad stories, but nobody was hearing the good stories. So I wanted a place where people could come together and talk, because as you know, if you've ever tried to get a hold of Uber and Lyft, it's not always easy to get live people, which I'm sure you're all very aware of. So I wanted to have a place where people could talk to each other about what worked for them, what didn't work for them, um, give suggestions on what to do, safety tips, things like that, because nobody knows people us better than we know ourselves and the things that we need. And um, when I started that page, I think we had about 20 people. There's about 850 people on that page now, including, including some Uber and Lyft drivers who really want to know what people want. And that's fine with me because they'll listen to us and they'll hear the things and they'll hear the, the crazy things that we go through. And it's not really to, you know, make anything less because I know how bad some of the service animal um, denials are. One of the stories we had, we were with some friends in ours and their service dogs and the gentleman did not deny us. But what he did do was he picked us up. He tried to pretend he didn't know where we were, but he finally came anyway because I pointed out to him that it was against the law for him to deny us. We dropped them off at their apartment, came to our house, went in the house. Our neighbor came over about 10 minutes later and said, what's all that white stuff all over your yard? He had taken, you know, those sticky rollers that you clean the dog hair with? He took every sheet off of one of those and threw it all over our front yard. And if you don't think we filed a complaint about that... <laughs> But I will tell you, overall, we've had really good experiences. We probably, since Uber has been here, have done close to 3,000 rides. Out of those 3,000 rides, there's probably been six really bad ones. And there's probably been about 10 altogether that I could probably do without. One of the funny things is that we can really tell when it's a former cab driver that's picking us up. Because they still have that mentality. And they will still try the same things with you to see if you're going to get away with it. Only thing is that I have a basic rule that we will never complain to them while we're in the car. We will be as nice as possible to them. But then when we get home, those ratings come out. <laughs> they come out exactly the way they should. But one of the things that I really stress to people, if you're going to use Uber and Lyft, um, it's really important that you do the safety things the best you can. 
And I know a lot of people are concerned about background checks, but I will tell you, honestly, there is no background check that is 100%. And one of the policies of Uber and Lyft that is not talked about much is that if you have a driver pull up and you're uncomfortable with that driver, you have every right to cancel. Don't ever get in the car with somebody that you don't feel comfortable with. Because you can, you can cancel and you can then contact them and tell them why you canceled. Um, some other tips that I want to share with you guys, these are things that we've learned over time. One of the things that I will do, especially if I'm with a friend with a service animal, I usually tell them that we have a service animal, but in case they cancel, the minute the driver is assigned, I take a cre- screenshot of that driver's information. Then I have their name and I have their license number. And no matter what, if they cancel the trip, I can still go back and complain about them. Um, I don't actually have a service dog, but a friend of ours does. And I would say we had, what do you think, Mark, maybe two? And that was probably out of rock. 20 ride, 25 rides with them. So, and that's not great, but it's not bad. Yes. Hold on, I'm going to come over there with the with the mic. Okay, sure. Say something so I know where you're at. <laughs> okay. 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 Okay, Ron, I'm coming. <laughs> okay, here. Um Okay. Okay, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. <laughs> it's tight in here, guys. <laughs> Hi. So, um I wanted to talk about the service animal question because I think it's not as simple as denials. Um in the old days, and I'm Ron Brooks in Phoenix, um I probably take about uh 6 to 700 um Uber rides and Lyft rides per year. Um live in Phoenix. Um, and, and about 90% of those are with a guide dog. So it's not, in the old days, it was a denial. Driver pulls up, sees dog, driver leaves. Um, or, and, and there's usually, and there, was, and there were confrontations. Um, you know, the, the Uber and Lyft really cracked down. And, I mean, in the, in the early days, in 2014, 2015, um, it might be 10% of the rides that I had. Um, they cracked down. Uh, after the the lawsuit that uh, was was negotiated, and then it became more they take you and they you know kind of bitch and moan the whole time they got you in the car, which is really not much better if anything it 's worse um, and and the the new trend is what I call the last second cancellation, um, and I think what Robin talked about is important. Um, you can't actually get a trip out of your history until it's been until you've actually started the trip, um, which is something that I hope to, to work with them on. So it is really important as soon as you get that trip, this is how they cancel you now. Um, and I would say that it, where I was, it was 10% before. Now in 2018, it's probably more like 1%. It really is not something that happens all that often. You do tend to get a lot of people who do what I would call kind of silent annoyance, you know, things... There are things that my teenagers do. You know, they sigh a lot. They, um, you know, they, they um, move really slowly, you know, just kind of stuff like that. But 
I can live with it, um, but you know, it's, it really isn't a big deal too much. I want to say something about that, Ron, because it's interesting you said this, and this goes back to John and the taxis, the group that we belong to. We use taxis, and usually, because I had knee surgery, I was sitting in the front, and our friends with service dogs were in the back. And it was funny, because they always thought the cab drivers were really nice, but I was the one sitting next to them, and I would hear them go, oh, I don't like the dog. Oh, 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 where is it? What's it doing? And I would hear the sighs and the moans. And <laughs> so don't think that it doesn't happen in a taxi because it does more. And that's, that's, it's so frustrating, too. Because, and the other thing I want to tell you guys, something I've seen, and I saw it happen here on a news program, and I've seen people say this on Facebook. If you have a service dog denial and the car shows up, please, please, do not grab onto the car window or the car door because people get, I know it's an emotional situation. I realize that. I know you're frustrated. I know you're angry, but the car could drag you. So please don't ever do that. Okay. Good afternoon. This is Kathy Casey from Albany, New York. The um, Uber and Lyft just started in Albany or actually in New York State, a year ago, uh, July 1st. So uh, it's pretty, pretty good. And we, most of the time, have not had a problem. Um, we called Lyft once on a friend of mine who has a service animal, and the car came, and I, I opened the front door, she opened the back door, and the guy looked at me and said, or looked at us and said, is that dog going? Yeah, that dog's going. No, it's not. And started to pull away when I had the door open. So I didn't even, you know, I had quick shut the door and he took off. Um, another problem we had was uh, a driver, the same person I was not with, but I heard, I heard about it after. When they got done with their trip, she looked at her charges and they charged her $20 additional because of dog hair. Now, she grooms her dog every day, and it can't be that much dog hair in a car to, to warrant a $20 extra fee. So um, I told her to fight it. I don't, don't think she ever did, but somebody might want to comment and see what, you know, something can be done that that. Hi, this is Lori, and I don't know if anybody's here from Uber or Lyft, but I'll say it anyway. Um, initially, when they were coming into New York State, um, they we were told that they were going to reach out and work with us. I'm the president of ACB of New York, um, and that never has been done. So I think in New York in particular, some of the issues that we see, if they worked more closely with the advocacy organizations, they might get better results. As a follow-up to that, I want to know what is being done with the data that NFB is collecting? Well, I can, <laughs> I can answer you this. I can actually answer a little bit of that because I did actually talk to one of the attorneys, and they are following it up. They are going back to these companies, but one of the things that's happening and they really are doing what they say they're doing. But one of the things happening, 
the first year that they did the testing farms, people were turning them in. And now people don't turn them in like they used to. And they need to have a good cross-section because they want not just the complaints. They want the good, too, because they want to see both sides of it because it makes for a better argument. But I do know that they're having trouble now getting people to fill out those testing forms. Well, you don't have to do that. Just every time you, you know what, when we do it, and Mark and I have filled out some, we do it as soon as we get home, and I fill it out, and I will say, and then it's funny, you know, we don't have the service dogs, but I will say home with, I'll send one in, he'll send one in, our friends will send one in, and try to do it right away, because you can't go back, and obviously, and remember all the dates, it's not going to work. And I do want to comment on what you were saying. It is about the cleaning fee. It is in their service animal policies. They cannot charge for cleaning fees for service animals. And it's interesting. One of our drivers actually said to us, she said, I don't get the dog hair from the service animals. I get the dog hair from people's clothes that have pets at home. Okay, I got some people back here in the back. Okay. All right. Where at? Okay, I'm coming back. (laughs) So I live in Minneapolis, and I have gone the rounds with Uber and Lyft. Um, pretty, if I take Uber four times a week, my, my, I get service dog issues two out of four times, sometimes three. Um, and it's, it's gotten to the point where it's quicker for me to take a city bus than it is to take Uber. Because I, I've had points in time where I've had three rides in a row cancel on me and have been waiting for an hour. I file reports and Uber tends to just, a lot of the time Uber says uh, they follow up and they at least refund my $5. But unless I complain super hard, they don't take into the fact that they wasted my time. They don't take into fact that they, um, like I've had appointments that I've missed and had to pay cancellation fees. Um, and it's just, it, I fill out the NFB surveys and nothing happens. Absolutely zero. Um, I, it's, it's just gotten to the, I'm to the point where I just rather take city buses or walk because even if it's really crappy like situation, like 10 inches of snow or whatever, and I shouldn't have to do that. Now, a lot of guide dog handlers in and service dog handlers in the Twin Cities were trying to band together to push something through the Human Rights um, Commission, or I don't remember the name exactly, but, it, but we really need, we need to really lower the boom on them, um, especially in the Twin Cities. And that's an interesting point you bring up because here's what I found from talking to people from different cities. Um, Every city is different. Some cities do better with one company. Some cities do better with the other company. It just depends. I got somebody over here. Oh, okay. Yeah.
Right. Okay, um, I'm going to address that, and I do want to get back here and address that with you guys a little bit. There's some things that you can do. First of all, if you have both companies in your city, check both apps. If you have Uber and Lyft, because a lot of times Lyft will be lower, Uber will be lower. It just depends. That's number one. <laughs> okay. As far as safety, there are things that you can do that will make you safer. First of all, like I said, if you get a driver you're uncomfortable with, you do not have to take that ride. Secondly, and you can tell them why you did not take that ride. Another thing that you can do, there is a place in the app where you can share your location so that if you're going to meet someone or you're going to someone's house, you can let them know where you are and they will know when you're going to arrive. Another thing a lot of people do is they use the GPS on their phone because a lot of people are concerned about that, that they won't know where they're going or they'll get a driver that doesn't know where they're going. So if you have a GPS on your phone or a trucker breeze or whatever, you can use that while you're in the car. One of the things that's really important, though, when you order an Uber or Lyft, don't ever depend on the current location. Because if you depend on the current location, chances are the pin is not going to drop where you are. And then you're going to have a problem. And that's especially true in apartment complexes, uh, large hospitals, things like that. And so make sure when I do it, I always manually enter my pickup location and my drop-off location. And if there's any questions, you can call the driver, you can text the driver. As far as knowing what your car is, and there's a lot of debate about this because there's another scam that's going on now with sighted riders. Typically, I will say, I'm blind, call my name when you arrive because I am not going to go up to a car. And that's the other thing I want to stress. Don't ever go up to a car just because you think it's your Uber or Lyft if you don't know. Because you would be surprised, the people that do that. And... There is a, a thing going on like at concert venues where our sighted counterparts will say that they're you just to get in the car. So if you don't feel comfortable, this was something somebody suggested to me last night. They said, if you don't feel comfortable, you can tell the driver to ask your name, but then you can ask the driver, are you so-and-so? Or what is your name? Ask the driver, what is your name? Not, not are you a so-and-so. You don't want to do those close, you know. Do, make it an open-ended question because that way they have to answer you. But make sure you get in the correct car. But honestly, for the most part, you are probably in some ways safe, as safe, if not safer, in an Uber or Lyft than you are in some other vehicles. Um, not all the taxis are GPS tracked. I think the ones here are now, but not everyone is. 
But those are the big safety things that I would say. So, and, and a lot of people are really scared at first to take an Uber or Lyft because of all the negative publicity. But I will tell you, once you do it and you can get out and you can go somewhere in five minutes or you have a last-minute thing you have to go to, we had a friend who had to go see her husband in the hospital. The taxi didn't show up, and she was able to call a lift and get a lift in less than five minutes. So that's when it comes in handy. And, you know, again, all three things have their place. Uber and Lyft are just a tool because nobody can afford to take them all the time. So it's like a tool in your toolbox. You have your taxis, you have your paratransit, you have your buses, you have your Uber and Lyft. So what you have to do is you have to weigh what works best for me in this situation and what, you know, necessarily may not work so well. And so those are the things that I would say are the most important things, though, as far as Uber and Lyft. If you're going to use them, be safe. Do not, like I said, ever go to a car if you don't know it's your car. If for some reason the driver does deny you, please, oh, please, oh, please, as best you can, do not grab onto the car because I don't want to see anybody dragged down the street. And one of the things that comes up, this is an interesting thing I was told by a manager here. Sometimes you have drivers that do not speak English. However, he gave me this little tip that a majority of the drivers, if they can't speak it, they can read it. So text if you have to. And that will help you immensely. And as far as other complaints, back in the back, I'll tell you one way to get a hold of Uber and Lyft that they don't like. No, no. Yeah. Is um, go to their Facebook pages. Because social media works wonders. And for that, I'm going to go on, and we've got to get to go-go grandparent. So I'm going to go over to Mitch now, and he's going to talk to you guys about that. Well, good afternoon, <clears throat> and uh, need to set the stage first of all. Um, and we have a lot of folks here who live in rural areas or communities where transportation is problematic. Donna and I are very lucky. We live in a suburb of Los Angeles. Most of you have heard of Pasadena. And we are able to use the light rail as well as two different bus lines. So um, getting around for us uh, using go-go grandparent is something we only do um, emergencies or... Uh, when <clears throat> uh, we have a short trip to make, and uh, you know, Alice asked about pros and cons. One of the advantages to go-go grandparent, as opposed to a uh, a regular cab, is that if you don't have the cash, it goes on your credit card. So, with that said, uh, go-go grandparent is a service that allows you to order a car from a licensed transportation companies such as Lyft um, by using a landline or a flip phone rather than a smartphone app. Um, GoGo apparently has stopped using Uber. Uh, all of the rides that uh, we've taken over the last few months, uh, the drivers are with Lyft. And that 
probably has to do with some of the things that Uber has been um, you know, vilified for in the news. So um, at least in Los Angeles, it appears that, that they're only using Lyft. In the nearly uh, two years that I've been registered with GoGo Grandparent because I've got the account, um, Donna and I have used the service in and around Pasadena and Los Angeles, in San Francisco, in Honolulu, and in Las Vegas. We just learned one of the places we like to go is the Big Island of Hawaii, and a colleague of Donna's just told her that they're, ne they're there now. Uber and Lyft are now on the Big Island. So if you ever go over there, you can, you can use it and use GoGo Grandparent as well. The service is supposed to be national, so uh, you can call to find out if it's in your area. It isn't everywhere, but it's, it appears to be going into most, uh, at least bigger uh, cities. When you sign up, you provide your home address and a credit card, because that's how you're going to be charged for your ride. To arrange for a pickup, you call their toll-free number, which is 855-464-6872, and I'll repeat that in a couple of minutes. And then you are um, given a list of prompts. One allows you to schedule a ride um, from your home address. Hitting two lets you schedule a ride to your last drop-off address. That's very handy if, if uh, you go somewhere, you're there, doesn't matter whether you're there an hour or eight hours later, uh, it has a record of your previous, uh, where, where the car dropped you off and they can send a car to that address. Six sends you to a live operator if you prefer arranging the transportation with a real person. And nine allows you to cancel the ride without charge if you do so within two minutes from the time that your ride was accepted. When a car is found, you'll get a return call letting you know to go outside. And by pressing three, you can speak directly to the driver. If you are home and book a ride using the automated system instead of the operator, the driver will not have your address and you're going to have, uh, uh, you're going to, have to tell the driver when you get into the vehicle uh, where it is that you are going. Now, that can be problematic. It's not been a problem for me, but of course, Donna has had the problem a couple of times when I booked rides for her. So now she insists that, that I book the ride through the live operator rather than the automated system. Um, the driver, uh, and the problem is either that the driver didn't, well, it, it's, it's language, but it's, it's other things. Um, the driver may not like the fact that it's a relatively short ride, or uh, he didn't have a functioning GPS, and that's happened. And yes, there are language issues with the Lyft drivers, even, uh, and maybe they're all former cab drivers, I don't know, but, but you can still have language issues as well. Um, most cars do show up within 15 minutes, although I've experienced one or two instances when at an airport, 
and the driver was unfamiliar with the pickup location. Uh, it happened to me once in Burbank and once in Sacramento. And you figure everybody who drives for Lyft or Uber should know where the pickup point at the airport is, but that isn't necessarily the case. By and large, though, my experiences have been positive. Um, now for the cost, and someone raised that a few minutes. Well, let me go back. Let me go back because I, I think that somebody wanted to talk about um, the the car and all of that information. When you get the call back from GoGo grandparent to go outside, they will tell you the car, the color, and the license number, as well as the driver's name. So you will always have that information, and they will repeat it. That's when they tell. You, that's when they'll also tell you that if you want to speak to the driver directly, you hit three. Now in California, uh, it is now illegal to uh, use your cell phone unless you have a hands-free device while driving. And so I have on a couple of uh, occasions encountered uh, when I hit three to talk to the driver, and I've done, I do that at the airport to make sure they know where it is they need to go. Um, once in a while, it'll ring to their voicemail. But that is how it's supposed to work, where you can talk to the driver, and yes, they will give you the information, the driver's name, the color of the car, and all of that, that information that is helpful to have. All right, so let me talk about the cost. Um, for some, that may be a negative. Uh, GoGo Grandparent charges a concierge fee along with the fee charged by Lyft. So during high demand times, there is surge pricing in effect, just as, as it would be when you book through a smartphone app. Um, you're given the per mile and per minute charge uh, the latter, again, constituting the concierge fee, the permanent charge when you call. Although the operator will provide an estimated cost for your trip, you won't know the exact cost until you receive an electronic receipt on your computer, which you will get. And according to uh, GoGo's FAQ page, if you don't have a computer, you will receive a call with the, with the exact trip amount. So as an example, a week ago Saturday, Donna and I had to take our parrot to the vet. Um, he's, he's, doing, he's, doing, he's doing very well, but he had some surgery and he had a collar on, which he managed to chew a hole enough, uh, big enough in, that he was able to get out of it. Yes, he's, got, he's going through the terrible twos. Um, our vet, the vet we take him to, is about 37 miles away. Um, uh, he's, we're in one valley. We're in the San Gabriel Valley, and the vet is in the San Fernando Valley, and that's a bit of a trip. But you, know, you can't book paratransit the same day. And um, the taxi, well, uh, decided not to do that. Um, so the trip distance 
the trip dis- actually the trip distance was was twenty six point six nine miles. The receipt gives you the exact mileage. So the trip was twenty six point six nine miles. The trip duration was thirty eight minutes. So lift charged thirty seven dollars and twenty two cents. The go go grandparent cost was ten dollars and twenty six cents. That was thirty eight minutes times point twenty seven cents per minute. So the total cost of the trip was forty seven dollars and twenty eight cents. It's not cheap, but you're paying for the convenience and of course not having a smartphone. And a number of you know that I have forsworn ever having a smartphone. Um, I will I will not have a cell phone before I get a smartphone because I don't want people calling me all the damn time. Uh, well, I know, but it, it's, still, uh, it's still an annoyance. You know, I'm a grumpy old man, and um, when I want to talk to folks, I'll call them. You know, so. Anyway, you can register online, and in the website, for GoGo Grandparent is gogograndparent.com. It's real simple. Or you can call the number that I gave at the beginning, 855-464-6872, and press 2. And that's, um, that's how GoGo Grandparent works. Um, I think overall, we've been really very satisfied with the service. We'll continue to use it when uh, public transportation or paratransit doesn't meet our needs. And um, so, again, that's, that's how it works, and uh, I guess we can take questions now. Okay, hold on a second. Uh, Robin is the, is the mic runner. Okay, say something so I know where you're at. Okay. I hear you back there. <laughs> I'm getting my steps in for today. Yeah, you are. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, hi, Mitch. I've used uh, the GoGo before I started putting Uber app on my phone, and I understand that there's some monitoring that they do um, while you're in the vehicle, and I, I wondered if you could speak about that because I think that's kind of a neat feature. Yeah, actually, thank you for reminding me. Uh, I, when I first started putting this together, I went on their website and looked at their FAQ page. They have a Frequently Asked Questions page. And yes, they apparently do have a, a monitoring process, and I'm not entirely certain how that works. But yes, they do mention they have it. And, and that FAQ page is, is very accessible. So, you know, for those of you who, for whatever reason, um, want to look into it, um, you know, it's, it sounds like from the way um, Robin was describing using the app that there are some, advantage, some advantages to, uh, to not using the app as opposed to, uh, you know, calling in and using GoGo other than the, the fact that, yes, there is a, there is a charge. But, yes, there is, a, there is a, a question that they answer regarding monitoring. I didn't look at it very carefully, but they do apparently have a, a, a system for doing that. But my experience is the drivers um, have all been uh, you know, pretty you know, straightforward folks. I've had several 
women drivers. I think when Don and I were in, in Vegas uh, last year, um, we had a, a woman driver. Um, and I've only had one guy who told me about his, his, his bizarre political philosophies. <laughs> uh, you weren't, no, you weren't with me on that. Yeah, I told you. And this guy, somebody ought to watch this guy because um, he may get squirrely. So anyway, yes, they do have a process for monitoring. I'm, I'm not absolutely certain how that, how that functions, but yes. Interesting thing is I found, at least in St. Louis, it's kind of funny. A lot of people use GoGo Grandparent and don't realize they're using Uber and Lyft. So just so people know, GoGo Grandparent does contract with those companies. Because yes. yeah. um, that's been a question for a lot of people, and they're really surprised when you tell them that. The, the, ironic, <laughs> the ironic part is that I've had several drivers say, I got this call, we, this, this text. I thought you were GoGo Grandparent, that that was your name. <laughs> And I've explained, and I've explained to them that no, it's a concierge service for those of us without smartphones. And one woman that picked me up at, at the airport said, "That's what my father needs. He shouldn't be driving." And and so she said, "Do you have the phone number?" And I I pulled out my Braille Sense, and I gave her the phone number. She took it down right then and there, and presumably is going to get her grandfather to use the service, or her father to use the service. Okay. Um, guys, we're about to run out of time, but first of all, Mitch, I could go a lot of places with that and really pick on you right now, Grandpa. About, about, <laughs> but okay, Grandpa. Like I haven't heard it from all the, uh, from all the techies that I know. I... But what I do want to say is that one of the reasons we wanted to do this panel was to let you all know the different transportation options out there. There are even more. Um, there's one that just recently came to St. Louis called ITN Transportation, which is a whole other thing where you pay a subscription and then you pay a certain amount and you have to call the day before. But every one of these options is just, like I said, a tool in your toolbox. Sometimes it'll work better. Sometimes Uber and Lyft work great. Other times with surge pricing, it's easier to take a taxi. Sometimes taking a bus is the way you want to go, but we just want you to know what's out there, what the options are, what the pros and cons are. And we want to thank you all for coming. I would like to thank our panel, and you might want to stick around. Next, we're going to hear uh, an update on self-driving cars and Ira and some other handy-dandy tools about transportation. All right, we're going to be starting, everybody. If everyone wants to take their seats, okay. we'll be getting started again for the second part of this panel. And we'll be handing off the microphone to Becky Davidson. Hi, everybody. How's everyone doing this afternoon? Yeah? Well, this is going to be a really... Exciting, <clears throat> exciting and interesting presentation. I'm looking forward to it myself. I am chair of the Environmental Access Committee um, for ACB. Probably the most, most famous thing that the Environmental Access Committee has done is has, was doing massive updates to the pedestrian safety handbook 
but our goal as a committee is to do whatever we can and be as informed as we can about different issues that affect how we have access to our environment, whether it's wayfinding, whether it's maneuvering in, in parking lots, whether it's dealing with signage, any number of things like that is what the Environmental Access Committee is all about. Um, so we're one of the committees that you don't hear much about, but we're out there. And we're very pleased to present this, at this presentation with Verizon and with Ira. And I'm going to hand the mic over to Tony, and he will introduce our panel members. All right. Thank you so much, Becky. Uh, everybody doing well? Are we hanging in there for the second half of this session? That is enthusiasm. We need to start getting people up and, and geared up for tonight because we're only a few hours away. The clock is ticking until we kick off the national convention in the Grand Ballroom this evening. So uh, hopefully everybody will get a chance to make it out there this evening. Thanks for coming out this afternoon. Uh, luckily, the rain maybe kept everyone from sneaking out and enjoying humid weather. So my name is Tony Stevens. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs with the American Council of the Blind in Washington, D.C. I have two distinguished guests to my left, your right, up here on the table. Just next to me is Zach Bastian with Verizon. Zach will be sharing a little bit about some smart cities and other exciting things with Verizon and 5G. Just on his other side, further down to your right at the end of the table, is Paul Schroeder from Ira. I think everybody knows Paul, hopefully. If you don't, get to know him. If you haven't checked by the Ira booth, please do so as well. So I'm going to be kicking it off here, and I'll pass it on to them, and they can share a little bit more about what they're doing in their jobs and then sort of build out the general sort of conversation we're going to be having today. Uh, luckily, the three of us get the opportunity to work quite a bit in Washington, D.C. together on various technology task forces and other working groups. And it's, it's an exciting time in a new horizon. And I mentioned this for anybody that was in the IAC meeting earlier. But this is a real fitting place, I think, to have this kind of conversation in this train station. You know, in 1895, when they opened the doors to the station, it was the largest train station in the world. It was, in a sense, the real sense of a gateway. Before there was the arch, this was the gateway to the new frontier, right? The gateway to a new America, a new opportunity, a sense of independence. When we talk about technology, we are, in a sense, 1895 St. Louis from transportation. We are in a world for technology and where we are going with artificial intelligence, with sensory augmentation, and just with smart Internet of Things and the capabilities that lie therein. All that requires two important things, though. It requires infrastructure, and it requires innovation. We need to have the tracks laid down in order for the trains to run, and we need to have the people capable of dreaming who can move west and come to a new frontier and find new spaces to be where new independence and new opportunities can be sort of born again. So I'm very fortunate that really we have two of the smartest minds on both of these subjects. When it comes to infrastructure and conversations around technology and smart cities, Zach has done an excellent job leading the way in Washington, D.C., particularly when we talk about accessibility and for disability in his role with Verizon. And no question about Paul as well with Ira in sort of innovating and the years with AFB and now leading the way in sort of the relationships in Washington, D.C. and around the country. Uh, so we're going to look forward to hearing both of those. If it's okay with both gentlemen, I'm going to pass it first to you, Zach. And I think what's good for this conversation is we talk about new frontiers. We talk about new opportunities. And, you know, infrastructure, key is to what Verizon's doing now and really making a way for new accessibility and sort of this new technological era. So I'm going to pass it over to you and share a little bit about what you all are doing 
in the 5G space and what's ahead for Verizon, but also in the wayfinding space as well, because I know you've been working hard in that area. Thank you so much for that generous, generous introduction, Tony. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be back here at the ACB convention. I was uh, joined all of you at Reno last year, had a wonderful time, learned a lot, met a lot of great people. So it's a treat to be here in St. Louis in such a beautiful venue. Um, thank you for that kind introduction. It's been an absolute pleasure to work with organizations like ICB. And when I came on to this job, um, I had to learn a lot in a pretty short period of time. Um, Verizon has a lot going with accessibility. I'm very proud of how we serve our customers with accessibility needs. But it's also a space that's rapidly evolving, as Tony said. Um, and, you know, I came across a lot of technologies in my first couple years on the job that I saw as being wonderful for people with accessibility needs. Uh, things like the Internet of Things, you know, being able to automate a lot of home tasks, being able to voice activate appliances within your home. That's really exciting. Um, applications like Ira allowing for outdoor navigation, uh, enhanced access to spaces by that kind of personal service through the app, uh, through the personal attendance. That's very exciting. Um, but the first technology that I came across that I really had a moment of, wow, this is truly moving into a new area that I hadn't even thought, thought of before was indoor navigation. So as... Tony uh, alluded to, I am the co-chair of the Consumer Technology Association's Indoor Navigation Working Group. And what we're engaged in right now is a process of companies and experts from around the country, and we're trying to develop a common set of standards so we can constructively create basic rules of the road for indoor navigation apps to make sure that they're accessible as possible and that they do the job across all the range of things that are going to be out there, um, that they all function the same basic way, and that they have the same baseline level of service. Um, so this has been an incredibly fascinating process. Um, the DC Metro system, for those of you who have had the chance to visit our beautiful city, uh, the Washington Mary, uh, Metro Area Transit Authority is one of the first transit authorities in the US that's installed one of these systems. Um, they're still testing it out. Right now, it's with Bluetooth beacons distributed around the train stations with the idea that they can provide, based on triangulating your location, with the app, uh, through the app in your phone, to be able to give you turn-by-turn -turn directions through a train station. So for people that are blind, being able to access public transportation, for example, or a shopping mall or the ballpark without having to have the assistance with a sighted person is truly a game changer. And this is the theme that we see in a lot of the technologies that I am so personally excited about. It's putting personal autonomy back in the hands of people living with disabilities, allowing them to make their own choices, to go where they want, when they want, do what they want. That's a very, very exciting part of this technology. Now, Tony also alluded to the fact that uh, we are very busy at deploying 5G infrastructure. And 5G is the fifth generation of wireless. Um, most of you on your phones right now have 4G, the fourth generation. And 4G typically is going to run around in the ballpark of about 12 megabits per second. 
And for a lot of the things that you want to do on your phone, that's perfectly good. And that signal is still going to be out there. It's still going to work well. You're able to do a lot of things with that signal. But 5G is moving up from 12 gigabits, uh, 12, excuse me, 12 megabits to around a gigabit per second. So hundreds of times faster um, with the ability to have lower latency as well, which means that the response time is much lower. So when you look at applications like indoor navigation or autonomous vehicles, this is a technology that we think will be truly empowering uh, for these platforms and be able to provide the network performance that can really live up to the kind of functionality that people who are blind expect out of these applications. So it's a very exciting time. Um, one of the most encouraging things that we've heard lately is we've started doing a lot of field testing on the signal itself to see how it performs. I'm not going to get too technical. I don't want to bore you with this stuff. But the basic thing that I do want to get across is that the signals are performing better than we hoped. Um, we did have concerns about, well, because we're using a different kind of wave with this signal, how is it going to behave when it hits a building or it hits a tree? Or you know, what's it going to be like in a dense urban area? The signals have performed much better than we anticipated consistently at a distance, bouncing off of buildings, dealing with trees at height, um, consistently within the one gigabit range with the low latency that we're looking for. So I have plenty of more to add, but I don't want to talk, talk my head off and you know, give Paul a chance to talk about IRA. IRA is another application that we believe is going to function very, very well over 5G, and it's a pleasure to be here. So thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Zach. Um, I, Paul Schrader, very much uh, happy to be back. Um, Becky gave me a call earlier in the spring and said, hey, we had so much fun last year. Um, who was in the, in, in the audience last year when we did a little conversation about Ira? Um, I, my favorite part was making fun of uh, Troy Otilio, our chief operating officer's um, Hawaiian shirts. Um, so he didn't want to come back because uh, he, you know, he didn't want to take that abuse. Um, so a lot has changed in a, in a year since we spoke with you. Um, we're here at the convention with some exciting new hardware uh, that we've actually developed ourselves, um, a new set of glasses uh, base, use, with a much better camera, much better connectivity, uh, better battery life. Um, everything about them is, is better we, because we've designed them to really do what it is that, that Ira does. And, and what, it, what is it that Ira does? Uh, we, we use streaming video, so video that's coming from your smartphone or a camera in a pair of glasses uh, that connects to a sighted agent who we train and hire and train and pay, so they're professionals, um, who, who can provide any kind of assistance that can be provided via a video link. So any sighted assistance that you can imagine from navigation to reading to information about the environment uh, perhaps to description. We've had people actually sit with Ira and have them describe TV shows that aren't uh, otherwise described. Uh, we've had Ira describe kids' activities. Um, I'm one of those dads who, you know, I tried to convince my daughter. The, the older one was a lost case. She wasn't interested in anything that I was interested in. Um, the younger one I thought was going to be a guitar player. I'm like, yeah, cool. Uh, but instead she became a dancer. Like, great thing for a blind dad. Thanks so much. Um, you know, I mean, she could have chose mime, I suppose. Um, 
but I didn't have Ira. So I, you know, I really didn't know what she was doing. And, and I apparently missed a lot of great opportunities because um, she had a great, uh, as people describe, great facial expression as a dancer. Um, athletically, you know, we're not gifted. Schrader, the Schrader family's not gifted athletically, but she, she apparently put so much emotion into her expression. And I'm sorry, I, I you know, didn't really have someone there to describe that. My, my wife did her best, but um, I would have loved to have had Ira. I mean, and this is the kind of thing that people are doing. I mean, in all honesty, they're, they're working. Why are you cracking up at me, Zach? I, <laughs> did you say that someone baby-proofed the kitchen with it? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, we did. We had, we had. Uh, in fact, uh, he did such a good job. We hired him, uh, Greg Stilson. Uh, we, we, um, we. Greg uh, put. Uh, just, he and he and his wife were both blind, and he decided he wanted to baby-proof the kitchen, and so he installed. Uh, he called up Ira and walked through all the installation stuff. I mean, this is the kind of cool stuff. Um, some blind people are just capable and cool, and they do all that stuff on their own. And some of us. Greg probably could have, but I couldn't have. And I'd be one of those people that would need to like, rely on a lot of instruction, a lot of assistance, because um, along with no athletic talent, really have no motor skills either. Um, <laughs> my dad was a, was a woodworker, and uh, none of that got passed along. Um, so the, people are using Ira for all, all of these things, right? Anything from the mundane... Um, the stuff that I always do is like I come back from a conference with business cards and I don't like using OCR that much. And on business cards, it often doesn't work that well. So I call up agents and, and have them read cards and I feel sorry for them. Um, but so from the mundane to, you know, maybe the miraculous, um, getting a chance to, to know what your, what your child is doing out there on the, on the ball field uh, or on the dance stage um, is just so cool. So that is, do you do that, Tony? I do. Yeah, see, yeah, I love it. Um, so it's streaming video uh, to a, a professional sighted assistant. So it's sighted assistance when you need it, where you need it. Um, it is a cell-based system. So Zach is absolutely correct. 5G is something we're very excited about because we really need, we're kind of an interesting use case, right? When people talk about uh, cell phones and video, it's usually about you know, how much Netflix can you stuff down the, the pipe to watch on your phone, um, or how many cat videos or whatever um, can you watch and can you get good, you know, good, good quality high-res video. We're the other way around. We don't need it to come to our phone. We need it to broadcast from our phone or transmit from our phone or from our glasses. So we need to send video upstream. And for us, the more we can have the connectivity that comes with 5G uh, and in two ways, not only the capacity that Zach was describing, but also the the fact that it will be present in more locations because that is the, if there is a limitation for IRA, the, lim, the key limitation is good cell service. Um, and some of you who have used IRA here in the hotel may have experienced some, some places where it just conks out uh, as you're sort of moving. Well, this, this hotel is big enough that we probably have about, what, 10 towers you have to walk through between each end of the hotel um, as you're moving from zone to zone. Um, so there are definitely places where you lose connectivity. So um, in a year, we've We've done a lot. We've developed the new glasses, the new Horizon hardware. We'd love for you to come by booths 44, 45, have a conversation with us, see the new hardware. Um, we can sign you up for plans now, and we'll be shipping glasses later. So some of you are, are let me ask you this. Who, who actually got onto that list of the first 200 uh, to get the Horizon glasses and are waiting for your Horizon glasses by, by applause? I see a hand up. couple of hands. All right. Yeah. Excellent. They're coming. <laughs> um, I know some people are... We've actually had a couple of people pick up today, and I believe that actually means that these were our first 
true, honest-to-goodness, Horizon-equipped explorers. Um, I'm wearing a pair of Horizon glasses, but these are prototypes, so there's, there's improvements made since mine. Uh, and so I think that today we had our first um, honest, I think me actually came by as our first honest-to-goodness Horizon Explorer picking up her new glasses. Um, so that's happened. The other thing that I'll quickly mention, and again, I think 5G is going to help with this a lot, is uh, what we're calling IRA access. So here in the hotel, if you're not already an IRA subscriber and you have a smartphone, download the app because you can use it for free on your phone. Um, so let me ask you this. How many of you have done that so far while you've been here? Yep. So anyone, any, those of you who haven't yet, please do. If you've got a smartphone, you can put the app on. And now you don't get the advantage of the glasses, of course, but uh, with the hands-free capability, but you do get a very good uh, idea of what Ira can do for you using that phone camera and holding it up. Uh, and a lot of people have done some really clever things like harnessing the phone to their body um, so, the cam- so they can have the hands-free experience and the camera pointing outward. Um, I'm going to stop in just a second. For, well, actually, I'm going to ask, ask Tony how he wants to handle questions. But um, how do you want to do that, Tony? We'll, we'll do maybe a, a couple of IRA questions, and then we'll, we'll move into AV and then uh, broad, some broader questions that will be framed around AV and everything else we talked about. So I will just close with a couple of points um, on this. So the, so the hotel is a good example of something that we're really keen to do, which is to set up IRA access zones wherever we can. The St. Louis Airport is now one. Yay, I'm glad that we got that just in time for the convention. Um, If if you happen to be going from here to Orlando for any reason, I don't know, there's something else going on this week. Um, That airport is also an IRA airport. So what happens when you get into those airports, if you're an IRA user, um, as some of you, most of you hopefully know, um, IRA, you pay for your monthly subscription. You get a bucket of minutes each month. If you're an IRA user, uh, explorer we call you, um, those airport experiences are free because they're paying for your minutes. If you're not already an IRA Explorer, you get to use IRA as a guest, kind of like public Wi-Fi. Uh, and so for those of you who downloaded your app, um, you can use it in St. Louis, you can uh, airport, you can use it at Bush Stadium and I, a bunch of other places. Suman's gonna, Suman Kanyuganti, our CEO, is going to go into a lot more detail tonight and from the, uh, during the plenary session, so please do join that if you can and listen to what he has to say. Um, we, the reason why I wanted to talk a minute about access is we definitely need your help. Um, if you think that IRA could be of value to you and maybe one of the holdup points is the price, and I understand that, um, one of the ways we get around that is by getting more and more places, the big retail facilities, um, convention centers, even cities. Some of you may know we've been pushing hard to get Boston to be a smart city. And of course, the IRA based in San Diego is pushing hard to get San Diego to be a smart city. If we can get more places in cities as well as um, large uh, facilities to purchase IRA minutes, obviously it brings the price down for everybody. It also makes it possible for you to use IRA as a guest in those locations, even if you're not a subscriber uh, elsewise. So those are a couple of quick points. I'll certainly say more, and I know we had one or two questions, and then we'll, we'll go back to uh, the uh, autonomous vehicle bit. So way over in the left... Is there a question? Yeah, I don't know. Just, just, I'm going to bring the mic to you just a second. Zach is wearing many hats. Zach will do it all. Hey, I, I, this is a good comment that you made about no glasses. 
the day that we don't need glasses is when I will be excited because I look like a clown when the glasses are on me. It's that up-and-coming thing. I were without glasses, is the question. Yeah, thanks for the question. So Ira, you can use Ira from your phone. And in fact, um, we're offering a new phone-only plan. So for those of you who say, look, I don't really want the glasses. It's not my thing. Um, I want to use my phone. And a lot of our explorers do, even with the glasses, they do use the phone as much as, as they use their glasses because it's just more convenient. So you don't need to use glasses. And now we're offering a plan. So if you come by our booth, uh, we'll set you up with a... Uh, $50 a month plan and get you 50 minutes, five zeros. Both of those are five zeros. Um, and you, $50 for 50 minutes. And that's using just your smartphone uh, that you can without the, without the glass. Now, um, I happen to think uh, our glasses, we, we, well, let me put it this way. We've made some effort to make our glasses look like glasses that anyone might be wearing. Um, now, people might differ about whether these are a good fashion statement or not because there's lots of different kinds of glasses out there. I have had friends, good friends, tell me some, some things that you know, weren't as flattering about the look of the glasses, but some of that is, is, is the way they look on me. I mean, we all have different head shapes and face shapes, and that's just the way it is, and you know, I've got an ugly face. What are you going to do? Um, so um, you don't need to wear the glasses, but I will say for those of you with some hesitance, there is really an, an effort at Ira to make glasses that are stylish and attractive. Um, maybe not everyone's uh, boat uh, in terms of floating, but glasses that certainly would look like glasses that you might see on the street. And we can do maybe one other question if there's... I, I, I see, I, see I, I saw a hand raised over here, and then I'll come over there. Hi, I just wanted to comment mostly for Karen that I don't use my glasses much. And um, just as two quick examples, um, my computer was updating a couple of weeks ago, and it was, a, I guess, a really massive Windows 10 update, and it took like an hour. And my screen, I, I had no speech. So I called Ira, and the gal was able to tell me, just using my phone, yes, your computer's updating. This is a percentage that it's updating. Don't turn it off. Nothing's wrong. It's fine. Just wait it out. Um, also, reading credit cards, I have lost recently a couple of ATM cards. If you find them, they are no good. Um, <laughs> but it, they're really good about reading new cards. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll just respond to a couple of those points as we're getting a new mic. Um, yes, the in fact, uh, thank you, accused up something that I wanted to say anyway. Um, a lot of the use cases for Ira are related to looking at screens on computers. Um, and so a lot of people do exactly what you did, including me, uh, which is, oh my gosh, why is my computer stopped talking? I don't have anyone. I work from home and there isn't usually anyone at home. I mean, I have a Border Collie puppy now, so I'm training her to try to read screens. But, um, and they're pretty smart. She might do it. Um, but it's been a great use for Ira to do that. And one of the things that we announced, as you may know recently, for those of you who are JAWS and Fusion and ZoomText and other VFO product users, 
um, where you run into issues where you might be having a, a challenge with one of those products, um, and you're an IRA explorer, we are able to help you with that um, as part of our partnership with VFO, which is good for both of us, right? Because it's, it's a quick solution uh, for something like you were just describing, which is the, the, the computer's updating, and I don't know where we're at uh, because I'm not getting good feedback on that. Um, and also a good solution because it helps VFO to understand where users might be having some challenges and things that they might need to change in terms of their support structure. Um, and so that's a fairly common use and a, and a use where the phone is just as good, maybe even better in some cases than the glasses because you can position it better uh, for the agent to have a good look at the screen. We also do, by the way, have a, uh, we use TeamViewer, which is a piece of software that agents can work with you directly and access your desktop. Not, not everybody's comfortable with that, but again, our agents are held to a confidentiality standard um, and none of the information they get from you um, stays with them. Once the session is done, all of that information is gone. Um, and TeamViewer is quite helpful because it allows them to go into your uh, computer and essentially handle things that you can't otherwise do because maybe the keyboard equivalents aren't working or there isn't really a, a way to navigate around a site. Uh, particularly thinking of websites here. And so uh, the team viewer allows the agent to take over and get you out of a bind or into or through uh, a particular challenge you might be experiencing. So that's another thing that's available to you as part of being an IRA Explorer. So we are currently without a wireless mic. So what I'm going to do is walk out and find out what your question is and come back to the mic and tell the group. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so the question was that she downloaded the Ira Guest app. She got to the setup screen where it tells you how to use it, and she hasn't been able to get past that. So, yeah, either I'd be happy to talk to you afterward. If I don't know if any, any of the other Ira folks are in the room, um, but if, 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 we, if I can't and, and we can't solve it here, please come by our booth, 44 and 45, and we'll try to figure out what's going on. Uh, with that screen. Shouldn't, shouldn't be a challenge, uh, but there may be a, a glitch of some sort. Okay, now we're going to move it back to Tony. Thank you, Zach. This is dancing musical mics, chairs, whatever, up here. And there's a, it's a cable. It's a hardwired, so we're all tripping over it up here. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Paul. Um, and thanks for those questions about Ira. We'll take some time at the end, too, for more questions. You know, the other thing we're going to be talking about, and this is kind of the what some might think of as the pie in the sky, but much more a reality. But a lot of the technology of what we've been talking about so far ties into really uh, with the space of autonomous vehicles. And what I wanted to do was give, give us time for an autonomous vehicle update, uh, as, uh, with this being part of the Transportation Committee for ACB as well, where I'm the liaison. But having the opportunity to work a lot in the autonomous vehicle space the past couple of years, it's been very exciting. And very much more a reality than I think a lot of people really understand that it is nowadays. So we're going to hear tomorrow morning for folks that are around in the morning part of the general session. Stop by to hear uh, in the sponsor presentations. Uh, Harry from General Motors, the executive director of the Emerging Technology Division of General Motors, which is leading sort of their effort around autonomous vehicles. We've been very fortunate to build a solid relationship with GM uh, we've worked as well with Uber. We've consulted some with Volkswagen uh, and, and have been part of what's called the Coalition for the Future of Mobility. 
CFM, which is a coalition in Washington, D.C. that's really been advocating for federal laws and regulations around the autonomous vehicle space. There's no question that one of the biggest challenges for people who are unable to drive because of blindness or because of other reasons is, is affordable housing near fixed route transportation, reliable transportation, just the ability to be mobile, right? Freedom of mobility, here we are at Union Station. You know, this was the, the centerpiece of mobility, as I said earlier. That's one of the American values, right? The thing that makes us unique in America is that we move around. We are a, a land of opportunity and just a big land. So sometimes that involves moving around. But if you're blind, it's very difficult to find affordable housing nowadays in places where you can get access to public transportation. And I think anybody knows, too, if you rely on paratransportation, that is just itself a, a, a sense across that everybody has to bear to ride paratransit. For those that have to wait, rescheduled, wait again, driver never shows up, they show up early, uh, and just...
through some of that tomorrow with General Motors. But by and large, you know, the 5G and these kind of technologies make a huge difference. When Zach was talking about, you know, the 12 megabits going up to one gigabyte of data, uh, that and with increased latency, meaning, you know, or, or much shorter latency, meaning the response time is fast, 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 and fast, and fast, down to milliseconds where milliseconds matter. So in a sense of where we are with the technology, it, it is still sort of being worked out, but it is definitely really on the streets already operating today. I think there's about 130 driverless cars now on the streets of San Francisco today. Anybody here from San Francisco? Nobody here from San Fran? Um, you know, and it's a model that's going to be working its way through a lot of the more densely populated urban cities where you might see it start kicking off as a rideshare model. So the idea is that, too, they want to purchase fleets. It's going to make it a much more affordable way to get up and running with your vehicle. And you'll have the opportunity within that to be able to hopefully find a little even more affordable option than an Uber or a Lyft as it is now, uh, or at least their profit margin might be you know, equal ride for equal price of what you're paying now, but you'll get a driverless car. And that'll really help reach what's called economy of scale. Because we're not going to start finding these cars in our local car dealer until we can get to a point of economy of scale, until we can get to a point where when we go out of certain zones of cities, so that rural areas, when we get a greater saturation of more broadband, high-speed mobile internet connectivity that can run these data packets that need to go from vehicle to the cloud uh, and through all the navigation systems and all the quality checks and all the contingencies to work within zones that are you know, really essentially mapped throughout our whole country. So driverless cars in that space, it's an exciting space to work in right now in Washington, D.C., uh, but it's, it really is something that's sort of starting organically from state to states, uh, states that have relaxed some regulations and rules. There's currently a thing going on in the Department of Transportation right now where they're trying to figure out, okay, do we let the regulations change so that we can literally yank out the steering wheel columns and the pedals? That's going to start rethinking the way the whole car experience in the inside is done. I don't know about you all, but it would feel very, very strange to sit in the front left seat of a car. I don't know if anybody else would ever feel that with nothing in front of it. But just as a blind person that's never driven, to sit there on that seat, on that side of the car, would just feel very strange. Go to England. Zach just said I could go to England. That's right. So next year I'm going to try to speak at RNIB instead of here. So, but to that end, we, you know, we talk about autonomous vehicles, and it, it's an area I think where as as individuals as yourself where you're interested, uh, talk to your local representatives, talk to your local counties, execs, your local city council members, your mayors, your state legislatures, your governors, because a lot of this is going to really be contingent on expanding into communities where it's not just about the cars, but about sort of the smart cities, because the cars, in order for them to really be successful, they're going to have to be in cities that have the infrastructure for them really to operate well within, and that ties into what Zach was saying with 5G. It ties into, you know, what we are working on with wayfinding as well to know that once you get out of the car or the cars actually know where they are in the building. For some reason, whenever I call an Uber to our ACB national headquarters, it shows up at the dumpsters in the back. It doesn't like to come to the front door. So, you know, in that sense, hopefully it's nothing against me personally, but... You know, it is the thing where when we start getting smarter buildings even, so you get these I-beacons and the 5G where it gets triangulation down to a few feet, or even less than that, 12 inches, then we're able to really get navigation, not just in the car, but outside the car. That's all the way across. Uh, and, you know, and I, I'm going to open it up now. I'm going to ask the first questions. And, well, I'm, I'm keying you up, so hold on, man. 
So I'm going to pass it to Zach and, and Paul now, because I think in that light of that, and Paul, I'd like you to talk a little bit about Chloe as well, because not only did I have a huge crush on Chloe when she was on 24, um, I think it's a brilliant sort of idea of, of what you know we've been hearing. I don't know how much is, is publicly available yet, but in a sense of where, where we are sort of going with smart devices attached to us, human or humanless, uh, and the infrastructure there within. So I'm going to pass it to you, Zach, for comments on sort of what we talked about AV. And then, Paul, if you could talk a little bit about sort of the AI side of Ira, too. Wonderful. Thank you, Tony. Um, just as a quick little funny anecdote, I was at Consumer Assembly recently because I also work with consumer organizations in my role at Verizon. And AV is a hot topic across so many different sectors in this industry. And so many people are interested. Obviously, the level of investment that's going on shows the amount of interest there is in this topic. Um, I had a chance to see one scholar at Consumer Assembly who was more on the side of being a little cautious about the capacity of the technology, just pointing out that there's a lot of things that still need to be worked out for it to function properly. Her quote was that, you know, we're in a place right now where around 25 miles per hour autonomous vehicles perform pretty well. Once you get above that point, we just haven't reached the point with the AI and the technology where it performs on the level of safety that we would expect. As to the Tesla features, she was not, you know, again, this is her words, but she said, uh, ladies, if you want to kill your husband, buy him a Tesla, because <laughs> that was her quote, uh, because apparently, you know, there are just still concerns about how this technology works. It's evolving very rapidly, but there are a lot of things that still need to be figured out. Um, one project that I wanted to highlight as part of Tony's, I, 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 both a project and a paper, uh, there was a wonderful paper done by a friend and colleague, Henry Claypool, um, through the Ruderman Family Foundation a couple years ago that examined this issue. And one of the things that he pointed out is one of the biggest issues of people with uh, for people with dis disabilities is missing doctor's appointments and needing transportation to doctor's appointments. And the dearth of options that it is it, that are out there to get to those doctor's appointments, paratransit, like Tony was talking about, being in many areas not a very good option, difficult to schedule, uh, rides show up late, rides show up early, you miss your appointment. One of the statistics that they pointed to is that year to year it could save billions of, on the order of billions of dollars in the healthcare system from preventing people from missing medical appointments. One of the other things that that paper pointed out, and again, this is just their individual lens on the issue at this point, is that for most people, autonomous vehicles are not going to be affordable. So this rideshare model is very relevant. And one company that's been approaching that, and specifically through the lens of disability, is a company called Local Motors that's based out of National Harbor in Maryland. Um, they are busy designing a vehicle with the collaboration of IBM, so trying to bring a lot of the good computing and AI resources that IBM has to the table, a product called Accessible Ollie. And the purpose of this project is to be the first fully accessible bus, uh, autonomous bus. So no driver, but available and accessible to people who are blind, people who are deaf, people who have mobility impairments or in, or in wheelchairs or whatever else. Uh, no matter what, and, and then you know additional interface accommodations for people with with 
cognitive disabilities. So across the spectrum, a vehicle that would be fully accessible and thereby could be placed within a community and therefore serve a service area and just be available on demand or scheduled for rides. So a lot of people are thinking creatively about the fact that, you know, for some of us, the cost may be too high to be able to own one personally, but there are ways if we're able to defray costs through sharing, if it becomes something that, you know, qualifies for a benefit, it's, if it's something that an independent living center is able to take on, then a lot of people will be able to access that resource even though they don't personally own it. So many, many exciting things happening there. Um, and, you know, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you guys. Thanks. Um, so a couple things before I, I talk a little more about Chloe. One is um, I would be remiss if I didn't also point out that one of the things you can do with IRA, and this sort of begins to move us into a little bit of a, you know, augmented reality type. Um, how do we How do we add value on top of what's already happening in our lives. So one of the things we've done is to in, uh, connect with the rideshare apps, both Lyft and Uber, um, so that you can have your agent call the, the, the ride, which is no great thing. I mean, but if, if you're not comfortable using your smartphone, it certainly is a great step forward. But more important, maybe, for some of us, um, is the IRA agent can then tell you where your vehicle is on the map, uh, so how far, whether they've taken a wrong turn, all the things that we can't tell currently as blind users. And then also, of course, as the vehicle gets close, can help you find it. And in a busy place like an airport where there's you know, lots of Ubers and Lyfts uh, and tough to tell which car is yours and, and often hard to have a good opportunity to, to really interact with the driver, right, to know where that car is, um, the IRA agent can tell you, can give you directions, you know, uh, uh, 100 feet to your left, 100 feet to your right kind of thing um, to get you lined up with, with the car. So that's, that's something that's currently available in the platform. As, as Tony indicated, um, and as many of you know, the AI and IRA stands for artificial intelligence. Um, also, I suppose, could be access to information. Um, and, uh, but, but it was really artificial intelligence, and that was the dream of Suman Kanyuganti when he created IRA was, yes, it would be great to have this platform that connects people to live human agents. Um, but in order to scale and to be affordable, um, it would need to also involve uh, automated agents to take on some of the duties. And some of those duties are fairly obvious ones, like reading, um, the OCR, programs many of you probably know about KNFB Reader or Seeing AI or, or, or others uh, that are already on the cell phones. And they do a pretty good job of uh, doing optical character recognition, it's called. That's what's the automated uh, fashion of reading text and then converting it into speech. Um, and so um, the one of the first things we'll be doing with Ira, with this agent Chloe that... Um, Tony mentioned is uh, moving into offering reading, and then and, and then as we train Chloe, she'll be able to do a lot more. Somebody at Ira likes to say that Chloe's kind of a toddler now, which often means she misbehaves, um, and so we have to we have to rein her in. But she's got a lot to learn yet. But I'll just uh, give you a quick sense of the voice for one thing, so you know um, at least at the moment where we are. Unlocked. Battery 41% glass attached but no connection to Ira. Hello Paul, Ira ready for service. 
Battery 41% glass attached connected to Ira via 4G LTE. Hello, Paul. Ira ready for service. Yeah, Battery 41% glass hey, attached stop. connected to Ira via 4G Stop that, Chloe. Um, so one of the things I wanted to be able to do was to hear the uh, 4G LTE, just, just, uh, just for you, Zach. Um, uh, so one of the things we can do now, of course, uh, uh, here's where technology gets to be frightening because I'm gonna actually going to try to bring a live agent up. Call an agent. Calling Ira agent. Connecting to agent. Okay, one step down. <laughs> Connecting to agent. Connecting to Agent Peter. Thank you for calling, Ira. This is Peter. How may I help you? Hey, Peter. How are you? I just wanted to bring up a live demo. Wanted to showcase uh, one of the things that you can do, of course, with the new Horizon phone, uh, which is, which as I said, designed to be an Ira product. Um, so when you turn it on, it comes up with Ira, much like you just heard, only it wouldn't say, hello, Paul, because I couldn't make everyone's phone say that, which I thought would be fun, actually. But, um, you know, they decided it'll say your name. Um, and so, but Peter, just uh, we'll give the microphone back to these guys, but quick, quick uh, description of the room, maybe. Sure. You're in a relatively large room. In front of you, I do see you're seated at a table in front of everyone. There are several rows of tables with white cloth. Toward the back, I do see some pillars on that end, and I think there is an exit door toward the back corner toward the right. And we'll just do a fun test. If anyone has a question, raise your hand. See, I never get to do that as a blind person, so um, we can, we'll see if Peter can catch a hand raise if there are any questions. Or just make one up, I mean, you know, just so you can raise your hand. I do see a gentleman in the front table toward the left. And what, what, uh, what kind of shirt uh, or some, some color indication? He's wearing a black shirt. All right. Uh-oh, wait a minute. <laughs> we, we've, we've, got, uh, we've got a gentleman on the right and a lady on, the le on my left anyway. Yep. Uh, well, okay, Becky, thank you. Did you have a question or should I go to the gentleman to the right? I will go to the gentleman to my right, to the room's left. So the question was, is Chloe available for Ivory Explorers? Chloe is available to the Horizon hardware. Um, so and we really are encouraging people to move to Horizon um, as, you, as you can. So uh, it's possible that there will be reasons why people won't move to Horizon and will stay with um, our other glasses, either Google Glass or the ones that we call Austria, both of which are, wi are wireless um, glasses. Um, and we will eventually plan to roll Chloe in, assuming we, you know, have, uh, we are capable of doing it in, that, in, the, in those applications. But Chloe, at the moment, is tethered and tailored and works with Horizon. Um, one of the things that will benefit Chloe, uh, will benefit people the most for reading with Chloe is to use a phone camera. Um, because while the glass camera has an excellent field, uh, one of the sacrifices in that is it makes it sometimes tough to focus um, to do the reading. And so most of explorers, I think, would tell you that they find reading with the phone easier anyway uh, because you can position the phone camera more, more directly over the material you want to take a look at with an agent. In this case, you'd be taking a look at the material with Chloe, your automated agent. Um, and if, if for some reason you're not satisfied, and this is one of the things that makes it really nice to have Ira, 
um, because a lot of times any good system of, of automated character recognition um, will miss stuff. And it's a bad, it, bad lighting, uh, bad, bad uh, contrast, uh, places in the print that aren't very good, handwriting, I mean, good for seeing AI that they've worked on that. But there's a lot of things that will trick and otherwise defeat um, automated uh, scanning. And so you're able, if, if you're not satisfied, you're able to jump back to the live agent if you're an IRA Explorer, uh, and Chloe's automated uh, reading didn't do it for you. And as I said, um, because we have already over you know, 100,000 sessions or something like that, um, we have a lot of experience within IRA now to understand what kinds of things people want to be able to do uh, using this remote assistance. And so we're, we're going to be building and we're working on building that into um, training and building the Chloe artificial agent, so the automated agent. So we're going to have a lot of, uh, we already have a lot more data and experience with the way people work with remote uh, assistance using streaming video than any company has, whether or not they're serving blind people. Back to that. Thank you, Paul. And back to me now. Um, so we got a little time for a couple more questions. If anybody has any questions about anything we mentioned, uh, again, Zach mentioned Local Motors. You can check them out at local-motors.com, and they actually seek crowdsourcing from people from around the world. One of the ways they've been so successful at innovating is through crowdsourcing, So, which means you know, people, anybody can sort of weigh in with ideas and thoughts. The, the you know, PhD engineers or just the, the you know, person on their lazy boy chair that has a big idea that, that wants to push it out to the world. So it's so great about the Internet. It connects everybody. But does anybody have any questions in the room on just general subjects? All right, hearing none, uh, you know, we want to thank everybody for having a chance to come here about a lot of the space and sort of what's taking place on our city streets and new innovation. So big round of applause for both Paul and Zach, everybody. Thanks so much. And we will look forward to having a chance to talk with you more around the convention. So have a wonderful convention. Enjoy the rest of the week. Be safe, and thanks to everyone from St. Louis for helping out with this. And thanks to Alice and Becky from the Environmental Access and Transportation Committees. Appreciate it, everyone.